Welcome to another episode of Disrupt. I'm your host, Home Health Care News Editor Andrew Downland. We'll get into my conversation with Brandon Ballou, the CEO of Accord Care, right after a word from our sponsor. The challenge to attract, hire, and retain top talent has never been tougher. That's why now more than ever, you need home care home base on your side. Our industry-leading software is known, used, and loved by thousands of home-based nurses and clinicians who want quick, convenient software to complete documentation at their patient's bedside, not at home on their own time. Experienced clinicians on the job hunt are now asking for us by name. So if you're looking for the best people out there, visit hchb.com today and learn more. Balu comes from the traditional home health world, having formerly worked for Kindred at Home. Now he's trying to bring some of what he's learned from the skilled home health side to the home care industry, where he hopes to turn Accord Care into a major player in the coming years. During our conversation, Baloo and I touched on how home health experience can lend itself to success in home care, the company's aggressive growth plans, and how the company's grappling with increasing wage rates and other staffing issues. Let's get to it. Okay, Brandon, thanks for joining us today on the Disrupt Podcast. Can you start by just giving us a background on yourself because our listeners have not heard from you before? Yeah, uh, sure, Andrew. Uh, pleasure to speak with you again and, and your audience. Brandon Ballou, former worked at Gentiva, Kindred at Home as Chief Operating Officer for about 19 years. And now I'm currently the CEO of Accord Care, a non-skilled, primarily non-skilled, unlicensed agency up and down the eastern seaboard with some Medicare certified home health in Florida. Looking forward to continuing to grow and expand our business. Yeah. And can you give us background uh, on all the places you guys operate and you know how long you've been with the company, when the company was started, et cetera? We started, I started here about two and a half years ago. Company Coppermine Capital had two assets, one up in New York City, one here in Atlanta, Georgia, where our headquarters is. And they were looking for someone to come in and combine the assets and grow a non-skilled home care company and do kind of a roll-up of a lot of different agencies as size and scale tends to work better for those groups. So I joined in and we started to do uh, acquisitions uh, in our space. We have since expanded to Buffalo, New York, uh, Hartford, Connecticut. We've expanded here in the South. We were in Atlanta. We've moved to Greenville, South Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, and then expanded throughout the state of Georgia. And then in fall of last year, expanded down into Florida, into South Florida, both in non-certified as well as certified Medicare home health. Okay, fantastic. And so you mentioned you have that home health care background. Uh, you've worked for a couple of big companies in that space, and now you're primarily in non-medical home care. Why are you excited about that space in particular? I think the non-medical group has really been underappreciated over the past several years as the maturation of the post-acute, specifically home care industry has happened with certified home health and hospice really being aggregated up into larger providers, the non-Medicare side, non-medical side has really stayed kind of mom and pop and franchised. Uh, nobody's really taking a ton of opportunity to put those assets together. And that was really our mission. I really think that certified home health and hospice play a great role in the post-acute continuum, but they're missing that consistency of care of folks that stay in the home for long periods of time. And that's really what our non-medical group does. We're there, you know, up to every day. We get to see, we get to interact with these people. 
with our clients and make sure they stay safe. We're helping them with active daily living chores and just we're have better eyes and ears on what's going on in their homes. So I think as we can kind of mature that industry, then we can really partner with home health and hospice groups to round out kind of a post-acute in-home model. Yeah. And so how do you go about making those partnerships in the places that you operate? I think it's uh, working with uh, local groups. Uh, we owe, both own our own down in Florida. We work together as we transition patients and information between our non-skilled and our skilled side. But then in our other geographies, we are partnering with best-of-class groups that uh, you know have a commitment to policy or uh, to making sure that they are committed to compliance, making sure they're committed to clinical innovation. And then as we just share information back and forth on the needs of the client. The individual, the patient, the client really has the needs that they want to do, whether it's served with a RN, a physical therapist, or a home health aide. In our scenario, we should make that transparent and seamless for them and able to identify the right skill need at the right time for those clients. And so finding those partners that believe in that and can and kind of match that intensity for us, those are the groups we're looking for. Okay, and what's the value? You you mentioned a little bit how you still have that diversification uh, in terms of a little bit of home health, a little bit of home care, and, and, and some other service lines. What's the value of keeping that diversification of service lines? Yeah, a, a couple of things. One, it, it does help in our industry specifically. The, the languages are very different given the different payment models that are out there today. So it's helpful to be able to speak to each one of those folks on their own terms as a provider. And we can speak to those different providers in their terms based on what the needs of the patients are. I think that helps out a lot that we know and understand what's going on in those groups and can speak their language. And then internally ourselves, as we diversify both our employee base as well as our payer base, it helps us to kind of, if there's ups and downs in the different markets, then we'll be able to kind of spread that risk over the different areas. And because you come from a home healthcare background, Brandon, has anything surprised you in the home care space? Obviously, you were familiar, um, but leading leading an organization that's primarily in home care, uh, has there been any surprise challenges, surprise opportunities, things you've learned? Or do you think uh, your perspective being unique in coming from home healthcare has really served you well? They're definitely unique. And, and I will say at my former organization, while we had a large home health business, we also did have large hospice right. and a pretty decent size uh, personal care business as well. Right. So I had been familiar with, with all three different product lines. Coming here is probably more of a size issue than anything. You know, we, we were such a large company across many states. Now really diving deep into Medicaid programs within each particular state has been eye-opening. And, and really watching, while I never want to go through it again, the COVID landscape driving folks from facilities into their homes and needing to have that one-on-one attention for long periods of time, that's something that home care services does that a certified home health or hospice isn't in there as, as frequent as we are. And then how to deal with each one of those states and the programs within the states. So even if you're in a New York, for example, there are multiple programs depending on the acuity level and the needs of those clients that we can offer. And you have to know how to navigate each one of those programs within each one of the states. And each one does it a little different. So you really have to be on on your game when you're dealing with those different states and programs. Yep, that makes sense. And then, 
So in terms of this year, what are you guys' primary focuses? Obviously, you mentioned COVID. There's still disruption from that. But in terms of staffing and other things like that, what are the biggest challenges and opportunities you're focused on this year, whether that has to do with your own growth plans or keeping uh, you know, clinicians on staff? What are the things that you're most honed in on about midway through this year? Yeah, I would tell you uh, Omicron in, in the end of the year uh, of 21 and then the beginning of 22 were significant uh, impediments to our organization. So I think we had, to, we had to fight through those through the first quarter. And now as we're coming out to that, we're really kind of uh, you know relooking at all of our processes. I think you always do that specific to onboarding and recruiting and retention efforts. It is an unbelievable tight labor market. It has always been difficult in the, in the post-acute space. That has really escalated over the past couple of years, whether it's been federal programs or folks just reevaluating what they wanted to do for a living. You know, it really is going to be those folks who can attract and retain qualified caregivers who want to make a difference in people's lives. How do we differentiate ourselves and give those people you know, an opportunity in the home and an environment where they can thrive and do what they want to do. And so that's really been our focus this year. We, we believe as, as you can bring on the talent and, and give them an opportunity and an environment to thrive, that will bring the growth. The demand for our services uh, continues. Uh, folks are getting older, folks are getting sicker, and folks want to be in the home and we can provide that. We have to have the supply of caregivers in order to be able to take care of them there. And that becomes the real crux of what home care agencies need to do as we compete not only with each other, but with other venues of set and settings of healthcare. Yeah. Is that something that you're taking into account when you're looking at potential acquisitions down the line, just acquiring more caregivers? Yeah, we really look for uh, geography so we can expand our footprint. And, and we, but we want well-run organizations that have a commitment to culture that we want to bring and make sure that our culture matches with them. I think a cultural fit is a huge deal when you're looking at an acquisition. Unfortunately, our industry on the home care side has been highly commoditized given the rate reimbursement kind of environment. It has forced uh, providers to commoditize a lot of those caregivers. We are taking a different approach where we want to invest and kind of lean in to those groups understanding that might have a short-term margin impact, but we believe the long-term benefits are going to be better. So acquisition-wise, we want to make sure that those folks kind of have the same methodology and mentality that we do, both mechanically as they're offering benefits or holiday pay, but then also as they're just core belief systems and they match up with what we're, we're building here at Accord Care. And then has anything worked in terms of strategies you've deployed in order to keep caregivers on or attract new caregivers? Because I know, you know, a lot of agencies have tried a myriad of things and some work and some don't. It kind of differs based on the agency. So has anything specifically helped you guys? You know, Andrew, it's it's a little difficult to gauge given the environment of the past two years, whether some things were working or not. Very difficult for us to compete with the federal unemployment benefits and things that that were there. That Mm -hmm. kind of ran out the fall of last year. So we've had now about six to eight months. You, you had to, a couple of those got taken away with Omicron. Things are starting to, to stick. I would tell you that that takes a lot of discipline on making sure you're staying consistent with the message and getting it out to people. Whether it's working or not, I, I'll be honest with you, I tell you, it's too early to tell. 
Yep. Some things we're having some traction on, some we're not. But but I think you've got to have a little bit more runway to whether you can cause victory, where you can call victory, or you could call it a failure. I think it's just too early to tell yet. Absolutely. And some providers anecdotally have been saying that inflation is causing uh, some caregivers who maybe were sidelined for the last couple of years to come back into the market. Is that something that you guys have seen at all? Uh, we, we are seeing higher traffic flow. I, I don't know if it's inflation or what's causing it, but we are seeing both higher numbers, but also higher quality of candidates kind of come through the pipeline. I think as folks kind of left their previous employments, I think they're now going to kind of reevaluate what work they want to do for a living. I think we'll see people that might not have been in our industry start to explore this as an alternative. Not only do we have, you know, the option of giving people, you know, a decent wage and a good place to work that's a little bit more recession-proof in some areas, but it's it's taking care of people, and that, and that offers an intrinsic value that a lot of other industries cannot offer. So I think we're starting to see people want to be a part of that. Now they have to get and understand what that means, and there are licensure requirements, and there are training things you need to go through, but um, people are starting to come back to work. Uh, quality of people coming to work, and we're starting to see uh, new folks outside the industry start to join, which we need desperately. We we do not have enough caregivers in this country to meet the needs and and demand that we've got. And have have you had to raise rates at all on the private duty side, Brandon? And if so, have clients pushed back on that, or has it generally been accepted? Uh, it's a little market specific and case specific. Um, we have had to raise some rates as we have increased pay for our caregivers. Mm-hmm. Um, some, you know, decent amount of our business is Medicaid, so they they have been a, able to fund some increases in Medicaid programs that were largely unfunded over the past several years. So they're they're just catching up to uh, kind of a normal wage rate on our private side where we can raise prices. We have done so selectively in particular markets. Some folks are are raising it, but I think everyone understands the inflation that we're all feeling, um, particularly on caregivers and and that that non-medical side that that, that need a higher wage as we want to push that straight through really to them. We'll have to take that from them. Okay. Shifting gears here a little bit. Uh, to talk about the clinical side. Last time we spoke, you talked about managing the clinical side more for personal care patients and how that was something that you guys felt you could do, but something that maybe industry-wide isn't considered as much. Can you elaborate on that for our listeners? Sure. What I've seen is there's really two types of home care providers on the non-medical side. You've got some groups that are really attacking that non-clinical side. I want to help you with like housekeeping, meal prep, just kind of helping you with your daily living, you know, the ADLs, which we are all there to do, but that's really where they want to stay focused and and not really drive the clinical needs, um, even if it's just observation and passing that on into the other groups. And so that that is some parts we do. Some states actually kind of mandate that that's all you do, uh, depending on what your regulatory licensure kind of allows you to do. Given my background and the background of a lot of our executive leadership team, we're a little bit more skilled in nature. We have over-invested in clinical support for our uh, both our clients and our caregivers, whether it's education and training for our caregivers or really bringing clients 
new ways of looking at not only their ADLs and their, their daily living, but things that may be going on with disease states that they may have, right? The, the average population that we're taking care is in their kind of early to mid-70s. So they are developing different uh, needs from a healthcare standpoint. We want to be able to arm our folks with the right language, looking for visual cues, understanding medications, and what have you. And so we, we'd like to take a little bit more of a clinical lead on that and having that oversight so that we, again, kind of what we talked about earlier, how do I coordinate and communicate with certified home health group or a nurse practitioner group, doc visit business, um, their primary care groups. We want to be able to have those conversations about the holistic needs of that patient because we're in there with, with a non-medical, uh, classically trained uh, person. Yeah, do you think ultimately that could lead to a better value proposition when discussing, you know, like you said, with deals with partners, but also if you're talking to payers in the future about, you know, value-based or risk-based contracts that you guys could could potentially be involved in? Yeah, I, I think that will be a nice side effect of the things that we're doing, right? Ultimately, I believe that it's the right thing to do for the patient and the client that are in their home to keep an eye on them uh, more from a clinical standpoint. What that does lead to is to when you're working with whether it's acute providers that want to partner with you and or payers as they get more sophisticated and and knowing that we can do things in the home that you might not have been able to do 15 to 20 years ago, we can now be those eyes and ears. If you think about a facility today, whether it's a SNF or a hospital, whatever, what the home is missing is that non-medical home health aid, certified nursing assistant, walking it up and down the halls and, you know, checking in on their patient. And that's really the service that we're providing. That's the missing piece that's in that group, whether certified home health or hospice or doctor business, visit businesses, they're, they're going in for visits, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, every few days, we can be in there every day for several hours a day. And so if we can be those eyes and ears and we can train the non-medical folks to look for certain cues or prompt them with questions using technology even, then we can get early identification of potential issues that will lead to a hospitalization and or a stay in a hospital that's not, not really good for anybody. Okay. In terms of data, the home care industry has notoriously been pretty bad when it comes to collecting and tracking data. Where are you guys at with that? And there's, is there anything specific that you guys have really honed in on tracking since you got there to Accord Care? Uh, yeah, we're still in our infancy, and, and I think that's Accord Care as well as our industry. I believe I saw a stat the other day that said about only 18% of current home care providers even track any kind of clinical outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are definitely in that 18 and, and probably on the leading side of that. Unfortunately, uh, given the, the, the software limitations that are out there in the world today, a lot of us were having to do it manually. And mm-hmm. so we're trying to figure out how do we get the same things that other providers that might be in that home are looking at, can we offer them similar things, whether it's an acute care hospitalization, whether it's tracking some really non kind of medical things around folks and incidences that they may have, what type of hours are we in there? What what does a patient look like? What's that primary diagnosis? And just give me incidences and things that they're going on. So we are tracking things. Uh, a lot of it's manual. We are using some of our systems to help us track a few things, but I would tell you it's in its infancy. Got it. 
Okay. Uh, and then in terms of the leadership team, obviously, uh, you brought in a COO for the first time recently, but just in general, how have you built out the leadership team and what have you looked for uh, in terms of who you wanted to kind of take you guys in this next stage of growth for Accord Care? Yeah, we are very excited to have Derek Norman join our organization. Him and I have worked together for many years, a great asset and, and probably most importantly, just a great person. And that's really what we're looking at on our team. Uh, we've got a, a lot of people that are just dedicated and passionate about doing the right thing by our clients. We are a client and caregiver first organization. I want people that feel and breathe that every day. And then it's about bringing in some diversity of thought and all that that entails. Uh, we just hired a new VP of HR, Sue Dunlap, who comes, she was in our industry, left the industry for a little bit, has come back, but just, just a wonderful wealth of knowledge on how folks might attract and retain and, and different things that folks are using outside of our industry. I think that's important. Uh, we have several nurses. Uh, Derek is a physical therapist. You know, all these different clinicians that are bringing their kind of point of view, but we're all dedicated to the same mission. We just kind of do it all a little differently, which is important for all of us to have, as you can kind of see it through somebody else's eyes. But I want to make sure our hearts and our our mission are laid in very, very similar fashion. Yeah. And so as you guys uh, move into these growth plans, um, what are you guys looking at? Do, are you more focused on de novo growth, acquisitive growth? What, it, what specifically are you looking for both in this year and in the near-term future in 2023 and 2024? You know, Andrew, uh, I don't like to limit our team. I believe these, these folks have done a great job over a very trying couple of years. And we will continue to explore all of those things. We have been very acquisitive over the past two years. We will continue to do that. We have started a handful of de novos. We will continue to look for markets adjacent to ours to continue to leverage and start brand new locations up close to there. And then I really want to get organic growth back and growing again. It's been a very difficult environment given COVID, given employee shortages and, and what have you. It'll be nice to turn around and let the world get back to kind of pre-COVID levels of really seeing folks come into our office and let's do some organic growth and get that growing on where it is. That has not stopped. There, there may have been a, a pause and a bolus as the world figured out what had happened. But at the end of the day, we have folks aging every year here in our, in our nation, and we need to be able to take care of them where they want to be taken care of, and that's at the home. And we need to make sure we're ready and can handle their needs as those are going to get more intense as they age in place. We want to be able to help them live their best life in their homes, which is where, where a core care can come in and make a difference for them. And that would lead to organic growth. Yeah. In terms of de novo and an acquisition, is there any specific state that you guys really want to get into? Or is that something that you're not discussing right now? I would tell you, I believe density matters in the home care space. So we will continue, as I've described, we will fill in the East Coast. We've got some gaps there in, in the middle part of the country, and then we'll start moving west. And we will kind of continue to check off states as we want to move west uh, where we think we can make a difference. Okay. And then uh, final question, Brandon, is there anything, a prediction, uh, a take that you want to offer up about the industry in the next few years, something that you think is going to matter more than maybe other people believe it will? people believe it will, excuse me, uh, or, or just anything 
you know, an opportunity, something that you want to share with our listeners that you're excited about for the industry? You know, I, I just, I really enjoy watching our industry grow over the past 20 years from a certified home health side, then watching hospice start to mature and now home care services. I think we all have a mission and a belief to make a big difference in people's lives. I see us do it every day. So I'm passionate about the work we do. Now it's let's let technology catch up. Let's let professionalism catch up and just maturity of our group. I think you'll see more and more leaders come through our organizations that may be coming from outside different industries. It'd be great to have some fresh thought in there, but we need more and more folks with their eyes on what people can do in the homes and how they can grow this industry because it will make a difference in our healthcare delivery system as a nation. And and that is what I'm most excited about. We just need the resources and energy and passion in there and across all lines. And so I think you'll continue to see consolidation. You'll continue to see those folks who care and are committed to doing the right things and growing will will win and they will do better and they will help provide a service that is desperately needed uh, across our seniors. That's a great way to wrap up. Thank you so much, Brandon. You got it, Andrew. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disrupt. For more news and insights on the home health, home care, and hospice industries, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at homehealthcarenews.com. I'm Andrew Donlin, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.